again and welcome to this week's edition of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. I'm your host, Jay Crawford. Joined this week and thrilled to be joined by a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and a member of the last World Championship Cleveland Brown team back in 1964, Paul Warfield. Paul, so good to see you. Thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here, Jay. Um, you know, my relationship with the Cleveland Browns organization is goes all the way back to when I was a youngster, mm -hmm. uh, following the ball club and its greatness. Uh, never dreamed of the fact that uh, I might be a part of the organization, but you know that dream did come true, really. And uh, it, was, it was a great six years that I enjoyed initially and then another two years there afterwards. When you were a kid growing up in Warren, uh, it really was the golden years for the Cleveland Browns. Um, what was it like as a youngster rooting for a team that was essentially in your backyard that was the dominant team in the sport. It was really unbelievable. The great, great players, uh, of course, the legendary coach, Paul Brown. The Browns simply won all of the time. Yeah. And they were the very best in pro football. Great players, uh, as I said, great coaching staff. Uh, my heroes were uh, Otto Graham, the, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But in addition to that, his fierce protector, Marion Motley, who's <laughs> also a Hall of Famer. And uh, the great special uh, or skill position players they had. And, and then Paul Brown was considered the genius of the National Football League, which he really was. So great organization, great teams. All of Cleveland was behind and all of Ohio at that time yeah. was behind the Cleveland Browns. There was no Cincinnati Bengals. Right. You played at the, uh, at the Ohio State University, and we'll talk about your time in Columbus in a bit, but you're drafted by your childhood team, the, the Cleveland Browns. You were a running back defensive back at Ohio State, but they take you and immediately see your athletic ability and they move you to the wide receiver position. And what a ride it was for you in your rookie season. You're part of that championship team and a big part of that team. For so many of us Browns fans that weren't around, that really can't understand what it's like for this city to be a football champion, take us back there. What was that like? Well, the expectations were always great for the Cleveland Browns. And uh, as a youngster growing up, uh, as I said, the great years of Otto Graham, who was a premier quarterback in the National Football League. Uh, but then there were other great players uh, on this roster offensively and defensively. Lynn Ford, a great, great uh, defensive lineman, defensive end, a Hall of Fame member also. Marion Motley, uh, as I called him, uh, the special protector for Otto Graham, uh, <laughs> passing in the pocket. But he was not only a great offensive player, uh, that was kind of an era when players would play both ways. Sure. And, and Marion Motley was a very fierce uh, defensive player, I believe a linebacker, uh, really a, a great player. So uh, as a youngster, my team, sports teams, and I will mention the Cleveland Indians also, were the Cleveland Indians, but of course the Cleveland Browns. And as I began to play more and more football uh, in my hometown of Warren, Ohio, uh, I identified even more with this ball club. And the Browns simply won all of the time. They did. Were all you intimidated, time. Paul, coming into camp in 1964 as a rookie changing positions, looking around you, seeing world-class talent everywhere you looked? Uh, of course, I had my apprehensions to a certain extent. Uh, I had matriculated from scholastic football uh, to collegiate football at uh, The Ohio State University. Uh, but this was the pinnacle, yeah. 
pro football. And so I remember driving to a training camp from my hometown of Warren, which was only about 14 miles away. Mm -hmm. And normally, you know, a 20 minute drive maximally uh, seemed like hours and hours. And uh, so because I was a little bit concerned, was I good enough to play at this yeah. level? This was the zenith, the ultimate sure. level. Was I good enough to play at that level? But uh, things happened very quickly for me. And to the point that you were talking about, uh, as soon as I arrived on scene, someone came from the administrative office, the coach wants to see you. So now, you know, I'm a little bit anxious. Now, what have I, have I done something wrong? So I go down to the offices and I knock on the door and a voice says, come in and open the door. And uh, there are uh, three gentlemen, Blanton Collier, the head coach, mm -hmm. Dub Jones, who then was the offensive coordinator, and uh, one other individual uh, whose name kind of escapes me at the moment. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting it. And so we sit down and we talk, and after five minutes, they say to me, we've decided that you're going to play wide receiver instead <laughs> of be a defensive back. But you'd never played. I never played, but I was elated with the thought of that. But, uh, oh, I'm sorry, geez, how could I forget? The third gentleman was my guru or my teacher, Ray Ren the late Ray Renfro, who wow. was one of the great wide receivers in the history of the organization. And so for the next several weeks, every day we talked, we walked, we did everything together, Ray Renfro and I, and that was the start of my wide receiver career. Wow. Incredible. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most. That's why Bridgestone Dueler tires boast up to an 80,000 mile limited warranty. So they're in it for the long haul. Because nothing says endurance like season after season of clutch performance. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com slash warranty for details. When you win the championship in 64, what was it like here? The Browns had been contenders all those years, but there was a lull in which a championship had not been achieved. We were playing against pro football's best team, according to the experts, the, the vaunted Baltimore Colts, and they were. Uh, they had John Unitas, Lenny Moore. Uh, they had numerous great players. Those were just two offensively. Gino Marcarelli had a great, great defensive end. They were really loaded, and so it was considered to be not very much of a contest, but it turned out to be dramatically different. And uh, obviously, you know, in those days, the crowds were always 80,000, standing room only for regular season games. This was a championship game. It was unbelievable. You were such underdogs. There's a story that Sports Illustrated had to scramble at game's end to change its cover because they had already decided that the Colts would be the world champions. What did you make of that when you heard that even Sports Illustrated, it was a fait accompli, the Colts were going to beat you guys? Well, I think uh, any competitor, and certainly we were no ragtag team, <laughs> Uh, wants to prove what their mantle is and what they're all about. And so my assumption as a young player and my teammates, uh, of course, verified that, is that we were more than ready. I mean, uh, Frank Ryan, our quarterback, had a great ball game. Gary Collins, my wide receiving teammate, had a 
phenomenal game and very capable of having a phenomenal game. But then, of course, we had in the lineup uh, the best runner that the history has ever seen in this mm -hmm. game and the incomparable Jim Brown. And so that always was a starting point for us, uh, certainly a very big help to me in my early part of my career. What did the status of underdog, how did that impact your preparation for that game and ultimately the outcome? Well, uh, as a team, we certainly didn't perceive ourselves to be underdogs. That was something that the press had made a decision that was the case. And so we were bent to prove that we can beat these guys and we've got talent and we had talent. I mean, we had two outstanding receivers. We had the greatest running back this game has ever known and we had one of the top quarterbacks in, uh, in the National Football League offensively. And we had an excellent defensive unit. So we were really primed and ready. We were in a spot where obviously we couldn't lose. Yeah. And we wanted to prove that we were more than capable of winning. And then 27 nothing. It wasn't a close game. I mean, the experts couldn't have been more wrong. Was there a parade? In Cleveland, what was this? What was the city's reaction to the championship? Well, the parades are something that would come after sure. afterwards, uh, certainly in modern professional sport as a whole. But uh, the fan base uh, in, during those years, and particularly for that ball game, uh, again, you know, uh, a, a sellout crowd of standing room only people would stand out near the center field fences of baseball. Uh, for all of those Browns games, but no, Cleveland has always been a great, great sports town, and particularly a Browns sports town. They were behind us a thousand percent. They didn't pay any attention to those things, and certainly we didn't pay any attention to them. It was a great, great period uh, for a rejuvenation of the championship play of the Browns. When you think back to that day uh, and that game, I'm sure there are a million memories that come to mind. Do you have a favorite story from that world championship game that when you get to talking about the 64 season or even the title game that you like to tell? One memory that maybe stands above all the others from that championship day? Not really particular. For me, it was all new, certainly. Uh, very first time, previously as a fan uh, and a youngster, I saw championships games. Now I was in, I had to really focus on the fact that you know, I'm in this ball game, you know, <laughs> just as, <laughs> you know, earlier in the year, uh, the very first time I entered the huddle, uh, I had to stand alongside of Jim Brown. <laughs> and so I'm standing alongside of then, certainly even at that period of his career, the greatest runner that pro football has ever seen. And I just rejoined the team from the college all-star game, the old college all-star game that was played eons ago. And uh, so I'm in the huddle and, uh, Frank Ryan is calling to play, and I'm concentrating on, well, geez, I'm standing next to Jim Brown. I better listen to what he has to say, <laughs> which I, I did because all of this transpires in roughly 30 seconds because the ball has to be put in, put into play. Sure. Uh, so uh, for me as a youngster joining the Cleveland Browns, I like to think that the reason why I had great success is because I was immediately accepted. Uh, there was no question that Brown's personnel offices had selected me and they always did a fine job of selecting individuals who could play and help the Browns move towards a championship. Yeah. So consequently, the things that a number of rookies were exposed to in the old years, getting on chairs, singing fight songs, carrying cameras around, none of the rookies in my class, nor did I, have to do those things. The veteran players accepted us 
as someone who can contribute because we're going towards the championship. Now, you're going to walk that line with us, either you're with us or you're out. Yeah. But we're going to accept you for what you can contribute. So it uh, really helped my job. Do you remember, did you have f friends, family in the stands for that game? Oh, absolutely. Uh, family members as well as friends that I went to school with, even high school friends uh, uh, that I competed against were from Cleveland schools where they, I mean, this, I mean, the, there's been a revitalization, certainly, I think, this year in terms of what it, the expectations are, but the expectations there were humongous, but it was all like family. You know, we expect you to win, expect you to win, but we're behind you a thousand percent. And so uh, I'm happy as a then, but I'm happy to see the restoration of that even now. Yeah. Did you have a favorite teammate on that 64 team? Uh, more so the younger players who uh, came in with me. Uh, Leroy Kelly was drafted that year and, of course, became a great rusher and a Hall of Fame member. Uh, he paired with Walter Roberts initially, uh, who was called the Flea. He was a, a diminutive little guy, but super fast and a great punt returner. Uh, he was from the West Coast, uh, and I had competed against him in track and field and, and national competitions and so forth. So we were all rookies, and, and, and a fellow by the name of Sid Williams, who uh, was from Southern University, who was really uh, an interesting character and a guy who wanted to win at all costs. Yeah. And uh, so we were pretty close together because we were all rookies that year. Those were your guys. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most, which is why Bridgestone tires are built for just that. Whether it's driving up to 50 miles to safety after a flat, confident control in wet conditions, or the dependability of an 80,000-mile limited warranty, Bridgestone's roster of tires has got you covered. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com slash warranty for details. Take us back to your to your childhood days growing up in Warren, clearly a gifted athlete, and I'm sure you loved to play all of the sports. What was it that, that really pushed you towards football? How did you get started? How old were you? Uh, I was transitioning from uh, junior high school, which is called middle school today. Uh, and my hometown high school had, was a three-year high school, so I was a ninth grader going into 10th grade and uh, had just turned 14 years old, and I wasn't going to play football uh, because uh, I thought all the kids up in the football uh, were better than I. And my experience at that point in football was kind of so-so. You had uh, played organized football at that in point? In junior high school. Yeah. And I played my final year of junior high school, which was the ninth grade year for me. Uh, but again, it was nothing special. I was, better at I was a much better baseball player. Mm -hmm. I was um, a very good track and field. Yeah. And so I thought as a youngster, my sports in high school could be either one, but ended they both were during the spring that I would run track during the spring, play baseball all summer, which I had done from the time I was a little league baseball player up to junior American Legion. And a life-changing experience occurred uh, for me. Uh, my junior high school coach wanted all of the football players of that school year to meet the new head football coach who had just signed on at Warren Harding High School, the school that I was going to matriculate to. And so I went to the meeting because mainly because I was ordered to do, go to the meeting. I <laughs> couldn't say no to the coach. Had no intention of playing. No intention of playing. 
because I'd made up my mind that the bigger boys were up there, they're all better than I, and, and if I was going to have any success athletically, it'd be in those other sports. And in 15 minutes of listening to this new head coach, uh, I got the feeling that, you know, one would have watching a television promotion. Be a member of the few, the proud, the United States Marines. <laughs> <laughs> and it really stuck with me. And uh, uh, I said, you know, I'm scared to death, but I got to go up here to high school to see where I fit in, wh where this works out for me. Wow. So it was a life-changing experience. And, and uh, I had a great, great relationship with that coach. I was always trying to prove that uh, I could reach what he set, the goals that he set for us as a team and individually and so forth. Uh, our relationship continued. Uh, he joined the staff at Ohio State University uh, for a short term. He ultimately went back to his alma mater, which was Capital University in Columbus, uh, was there as head coach and then later athletic director. But his name was Gene Slaughter, and he made it, and he built a program in Warren that exists today. Yeah. He brought it from the doldrums all the way to the heights, and it uh, enjoys that uh, success today. So if not for Gene, you're, I'm not sitting here talking to Hall of Famer <laughs> Paul Warfield, I may be talking to former Major League Baseball great Well, you Paul know, Warfield. that would have remained to have been seen. Uh, you were but, drafted, uh, weren't you, to play baseball? Well, I had um, uh, a few clubs of interest who were yeah. trying to sign me to a baseball contract, yeah. What was your time like in Columbus? You were a running back and a defensive back. Um, what, what was your time like playing for the Buckeyes? Uh, played for a great, great, great coach in uh, Wayne Woodrow, or better known as Woody Hayes. Uh, very demanding, uh, which I appreciated, but uh, also appreciated that he was totally involved with all the young athletes, in this case football players. Uh, pointed out to us what were the most important things, and although it was kind of hard for many of us, including myself, to see what he was talking about in some instances, it was all very relevant. He had our very best interest at hand. Um, you know, was had great integrity, great honesty, in which uh, when he sat down at the kitchen table, he said, I can't assure you your son is going to play uh, as a starter at Ohio State University. You know, that's up to him. But I will assure you that he will get a, let's say, darn good education. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he meant that. Uh, Woody Hayes was not, as the former uh, president, well, the former president Richard Nixon said uh, at his uh, uh, funeral, he says, many people thought of Woody Hayes as a Neanderthal man. He says he was not a Neanderthal man. He was um, a Renaissance man, which he really was, an extremely well-read individual. Uh, had a master's degree in, I believe, English literature. Mm -hmm. And always talked to us, first of all, how are you doing in school? Do you need any support systems? And he was, uh, he was very, very much adamant about that. And then, of course, we were there to help Ohio State University win football games and then whatever else we were there for. <laughs> but first of all, the education, secondly, win football games. You mentioned earlier you were a tremendous track and field athlete. In fact, your sophomore year at Ohio State, you were the NCAA runner-up in the long jump. At what point had you made a decision that it was probably football in your future and not a run at the Olympics? That was a very difficult decision. Um, a real difficult decision. Uh, because um, I 
sincerely believe that I could have been a member of the United States uh, 1964 Olympic team as a long jumper. Um, I had a world ranking <laughs> at that time and uh, um, had been a member of the United States track and field team the previous summer before and had, had a chance to uh, become friends with one of the greatest long jumpers uh, at that period, Ralph Boston. Yeah. And uh, it was a great, not only experience for me, but a learning experience about uh, the event and the international competition. Uh, the Russians had uh, a great uh, long jumper at that point, but to have the experience of competing against he and, and the Russian team. So uh, I had experience in a number of things and it would have really been special. Uh, so I had to think long and hard, but I knew that my future was going to be uh, either baseball or football, but more uh, accurately, uh, football. Uh, but I really, you know, it's a chance to represent your country. Yeah. And to uh, a chance to compete on a world basis. And then if I were, if I had have been, if it all had have occurred, been lucky enough to stand on the stand of one of those three places, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's, a, that's a very special honor. That would have been a very special honor. Did you ever look back and, and wonder what if or have any regret about the decision to not pursue a spot on that Olympic team? Well, uh, that was going to be a, basically a one-time experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I knew this opportunity presented itself to, uh, of course, matriculate as it were. I was drafted by the National Football League. There were baseball people that, uh, so I was leaning more towards uh, certainly football because uh, I had my experiences and I could go right to the professional level. It worked out for sure. Very much so. Yeah. What was your reaction? Now the draft is everywhere. Uh, the players are watching. The world is watching. Do you take us back to draft day? Um, obviously, there was no television of the draft itself. How did you learn that you were going to be a member of the Cleveland Browns and what was your reaction to them selecting you? Well, it was really a day of highs uh, in the end, but tremendous lows in the beginning. And uh, the reason being, I was all but certain I was going to be drafted by another ball club that was down in the draft, I mean, well, down in the standings, but as a result, drafted higher. Sure. And that ball club's representatives came and they nurtured me and uh, I was assured that I was going to be selected. And ironically, they wanted to select me as a wide receiver. Wow. You know. And uh, uh, unfortunately, when the time came, they drafted someone else. And I was just totally shattered. Wow. <laughs> totally shattered. And uh, How did you find out? How were you following the draft? Well, <laughs> you know, it's... It's so different now. It's so different. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> It's so different. I found out by radio. Wow. <laughs> I was glued to my uh, radio in my college dormitory room listening to updates with regard to what was happening in the National Football League draft. Wow. They came on once for five to eight minutes on the top of the hour and then not again until the bottom of the hour wow. at the half hour and then all the way around. So now, the situation is uh, the team that I'm thinking is going to draft me, and I'm, of course, glued to my seat. And so an unusual circumstance happens. 
and that team will hold up the draft for four hours trying to make a decision. So there wasn't a clock. There, were, there was no clock in those days. And so every half hour on the hour for four hours, well, this team has come up and they still haven't made a selection. Wow. Now I'm in my dormitory. Why haven't they taken me? What's wrong? Because they told me they were going to take me and so forth. And so finally, when they make their selection, it wasn't me. I'm, I'm totally exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm spent and they haven't taken me. I'm crushed. <laughs> And so now we're going through, and then, of course, those were the years in which there was an American Football League yeah. and a National Football sure. League. Now, the AFL had already drafted uh, a couple of weeks before, and I was taken in the third round by the Buffalo Bills. And uh, I had an interesting conversation with them the summer before, but they wanted to know what I was going to do because they knew they had learned of my interest in baseball. I said, and I told us, well, I'm going to play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to go to the AFL. No, I, well, no, that wasn't it. At that point, for some reason, I was thinking more baseball. And so they said, now, are you sure? I said, well, yeah, I'm going to play baseball. I said, you know, we want to make you our first round draft choice. But if you're going to play baseball, we're not going to expend the first round. I said, I'm playing baseball. So I go through my senior season. And at this point, at that point, I'm thinking I'm going to play baseball, but then Something interesting happens in the final few games that year, and all of a sudden I decide I'm going to play, play football. <laughs> but they hold their draft. They held their draft in advance of the Browns. I mean, the, not the Browns, but the National Football League. So they had already committed a, second, a third round selection in the third round. So now we're getting all the way down to the end, and so the Browns are, you know, a consistently winning team. So they drafted the lower part of the draft. I have no idea that they're going to draft me. And I'm sitting by my radio, and all of a sudden, my name is called. <laughs> so I'm, I'm elated. My favorite team is going to draft me, and so how did this is, this is unbelievable. <laughs> so it, it all worked out. It, it, it all, it all worked out. And uh, yes, I, I quickly uh, committed to them, and uh, things worked out from there. What did you think when they told you that you were going to be switching positions? You were going to be a wide receiver or defensive back. They were going to use you as a wide receiver. Well, initially they drafted me as a defensive cornerback. Right. And, uh, but they said, well, you know, he's played a little bit of that at, at, at uh, Ohio State University, and we may take a look. Uh, but I would subsequently learn that uh, after a mini camp, which in those days was a one day mini camp, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we all came in the draftees, uh, and they worked me a little bit at uh, wide receiver, and they also worked me as a corner. And the coaching staff got their heads together, uh, particularly uh, Dub Jones, along with uh, head coach Brett Collier, uh, to talk to Howard Brinker, who was the defensive coordinator. And they asked Howard, what are your needs? You know, we drafted this young man as, uh, as a corner, but if we would like to him for him to come to the offensive side of the ball, how do you feel about that, Howard? So Howard quickly indicated to them, well, you know, I feel comfortable because we have some people here. We can go with those people. And if you think that the young man can help you out better on offense, you go ahead and have him. So wow. once that decision was made, uh, then Ray Renfro was brought in to be my special tutor and so forth, and it all worked out. So you become a fan favorite um, over the next several seasons in Cleveland, um, and you're really living a dream. I mean, here you are, kind of the hometown kid, who goes off and plays for the state university and then comes home and is playing professionally and practically his hometown wins 
a pro championship. And then comes news that you've been traded to the Miami Dolphins on draft day. Take us back to how you received that news and what your reaction was. Well, I received the news from the then owner, Arthur Modell, who uh, called me personally uh, before uh, the news was uh, transmitted to the media sources and it became available, which I greatly appreciated. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the tone in his voice, uh, he was reluctant to pass on that information. It wasn't a, uh, a bright outlook yeah. <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, again, they, may, they had a nucleus. I didn't really know what their total nucleus was. The, the, the Don Shula would come 10 days after I had been traded. Which probably changed your outlook dramatically. Well, that changed the outlook significantly, but it was going to be a lot of work to be done sure. there. These, this team, in four years, had never won more than four games in, in any of those four years. And so, but, you know, with his input, with his coming, and with that young nucleus and uh, his ability to pull things together, it changed overnight. It changed overnight in 1970 um, after no success in their first few years as a member of the NFL. You guys get some traction. The next year you lose in the Super Bowl. But the following year you rewrite NFL history and to this day are the only team in the Super Bowl era to go completely undefeated during the regular season and through the postseason. Take us through that 72 season. What was it like being perfect for an entire year? It was this enormous feeling that we had something to prove because everybody said, ah, they're an old AFL team. You know, they're not as good as the NFL and this sort of thing. And so we stuck to that. One game by game, made things happen. And then when we decided to make the decision at halftime in Pittsburgh and Bob Greasy comes in, boom. He comes in and takes us the rest of the way. And it's an enormous year, 17-0, and 0, uh, but we were so focused, so focused on proving that we were good enough that we wanted to get back to the game, and then we would, we would answer all these questions in that game. So that focus and that concentration prevailed. After the Miami years, you went to the World Football League for a year, and then ultimately back to Cleveland for your final two seasons. What was that like coming home? Uh, interesting, uh, Cleveland at that time was kind of regenerating itself to a certain extent, still almost among the contenders, but not quite there. And so um, I knew I didn't have very much time left on the clock. I was in the unusual position or status of being free to make a decision as to where I wanted to go. My home was still here in Cleveland and so forth, and I'm an Ohioan, and so I kind of had a preference for coming here. Yeah. And so you come to the realization that your football playing life is over. So now take us into the retirement, the post-football life of Paul Warfield. Um, well, it still involves sports, and so I had a connection. And uh, I did some work uh, with broadcasting locally in Cleveland mm -hmm. and with a local television station and uh, was enjoyed that. For the long run, it didn't go as long as I would have liked for it to go, maybe, perhaps. But then uh, was fortunate enough to realign myself with the Cleveland Browns organization in, uh, in personnel and administration and uh, enjoyed being a part of that for uh, several years. Yeah. You were the guy we can thank for giving us Webster Slaughter. <laughs> well, what, what, what did you see in Webster that made you say this guy can get it done at the NFL level? 
Well, he uh, was very competitive, uh, and you could see that in his play in terms of uh, how hard he worked at it. But not only that, uh, his competitiveness, which was ideal, uh, his movement, and the things that he was able to do as a wide receiver. He had very special, what I call, initial quickness off the ball, which is imperative for a wide receiver to have. Uh, he didn't have world-class speed, but he was not by no stretch of the imagination, you know, what you would call a possession receiver. He had quickness and he had good enough acceleration speed to get deep. So, uh, but then he was maneuverable, you know, very quick feet, great balance, could break off very short uh, or very quick cuts. So uh, he could beat you short, he could beat you in immediately, and he can also beat you deep. Uh, and, and in addition to that, uh, he had excellent hands. And so his... Uh, uh, vision, hand and eye coordination was excellent and along with that competitiveness uh, I thought it was a special player. Paul Warfield, it yeah. was a true pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much Certainly. for joining us. Be sure to join us next week when we're joined by another all-time Cleveland Browns great on Club 46 driven by Bridgestone.